0: There are places on this planet that live sort of at the edge between the real and the unreal. Places so extreme that it's hard to square them with any normal life. The center of a 600-foot-wide tornado whipping across the Oklahoma plains. A lava lake bubbling with newly formed magma. Or, for example, a 600,000-year-old cave, bursting with crystals the size of a school bus. And it looks like Superman's Fortress of Solitude. There
1: are these white selenite crystals, it's crystallized gypsum, and they are the size of tree trunks. Some of them are 10 meters, 30 feet long, weighing 55 tons. They look like gigantic tree trunks, and it looked like this magical alien place.
0: I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Today, we're headed deep underground to the Cave of the Crystals, located nearly a thousand feet beneath northern Mexico. And we'll meet a professional adventurer who spends his time chasing the edge of the unreal. along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Hey, Earwolf Team Coco and
1: Stitcher listeners. It's me, Ashley Ray, and I'm here to tell you about a special collection of podcasts in honor of Women's History Month. From TV I Say with yours truly, Significant Others with Liza Powell O'Brien, and Why Won't You Date Me with Nicole Byer, we are excited to celebrate all women who are part of the Sirius XM podcast family. So let's toast to these women-led hosts and listen on Amazon Music.
0: Do you want to just list a few places that you've traveled in, in your line of work?
1: Oh, geez. Uh, Sure. I'm I'm the very first person to have ever descended down into the Darvaza Flaming Crater, the the gates of hell. I did the world's first ever rope traverse over top of the boiling lake in Dominica, (laughs) chased the world's largest tornado uh, 2.6 miles wide. That was in Oklahoma. I was in the middle of Hurricane Sandy, Hurricane Katrina, uh, all
0: over the place, basically.
1: Yeah, this is my career. I'm a professional explorer and adventurer. That's it's that's what it says on my business card. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is George Karounis. He's a professional adventurer and TV host. George didn't start out his career as a professional adventurer. He started out as a music engineer. He mostly built recording studios during the week, but on his off days, he had some exciting hobbies.
1: Uh, this is the end of the freaking world here. Oh my god. I don't, uh...
0: This is intense! That's from one of George's early videos. It's of him watching a tornado form with a group of other storm chasers. And George's penchant for quite literally going to extremes caught the attention of a TV producer.
1: It was a Friday afternoon, and I was at the recording studio where I was working, and I got a phone call from from a TV producer who had read about me in the newspaper. And he basically said, I love what you do. We should make a TV show about it. And when someone calls you and says we should make a TV show out of your life, then you say yes.
0: Suddenly, George was no longer just another hobbyist chasing tornadoes. He was a professional chasing tornadoes. And as part of the 39-episode run of his TV show Angry Planet, George had to descend into volcanoes and suspend himself over boiling lakes, all while still being a chatty, charming television host.
1: There's been a lot of moments when, when I'm in these places where a big hurricane is coming ashore and I've got a TV crew with me or something. And it's it's scary because that point in time, that is the most dangerous place on planet Earth. Right. So, yeah, that's really scary and intimidating. And also trying to be trying to com- tell a compelling story when you're in the middle of literally there's a volcano erupting around you. You're standing next to a lake of lava and you're worried about safety and, and every. Every little thing that could possibly go wrong.
0: How do you think about risk? What are times when you said this is just a bridge too far?
1: Pretty much every expedition I go to, there's some point where it's a bridge too far. So <laughs> yeah, you have to okay. determine you have to determine where that is, yeah, right? and yeah. and stay two two steps back from that as a as a as a safety buffer. Yeah. When I went into the Darvaza Gates of Hell, burning gas crater,
0: yeah,
1: uh, we had safety backup after safety backup. But at some point I had to step off the edge of that crater and dangle from a rope, wearing a heat resistant suit in a Kevlar harness and hope that everything that we planned and prepared for for the past year and a half goes smoothly. And, and I had to have insurance for that expo- expedition. And the yeah. only company in the world that would insure me was Lloyd's of London. And they're the company that'll, you know, they'll insure anybody <laughs> as long as you
0: ask and pay, right? Personally, I have to admit, I have a somewhat complicated relationship with all of this adventure-seeking. On the one hand, I, I really completely understand the appeal, and I've, I've definitely indulged in some questionable adventures in my time, but there's another piece of me that just can't help but feel like some of it's, I don't know, it's disasters as a backdrop, the world's natural wonders as a way to prove yourself. It's not all for me. But then again, maybe I'm just jealous. One place that George went that I can fully and freely admit to being jealous of is that real life fortress of solitude deep under the northern Mexican desert, the Crystal Cave.
1: If you've ever been to a rock and gem shop, if you've ever seen a geode like those amethyst, those purple amethyst geodes, Mm. imagine one of those. But the crystals are white, and they are just absolutely massive. That, that's exactly what this is. It's a, the world's largest geode.
0: The crystal cave in the Nica mine in northern Mexico was discovered on accident. It was found by silver miners who stumbled across it in the year 2000. They found it after pumping the water from flooded chambers 900 feet below the Chihuahuan Desert.
1: Imagine making, like, you can make homemade sugar crystals. Right. It's basically the same thing as a, as a high school science experiment, except that this mineral-rich water had been sitting in this void heated by this, this, uh, this deep volcanic heat for over half a million years, somewhere in the, in the ballpark of about five hundred to 600,000 years. And it stayed very stable, a stable temperature, um, no current flowing, basically it just sat there in just the perfect conditions for these crystals of selenite to grow. And there are no small crystals in the cave. Every crystal is humongous. So it just like this perfect, perfect blend of all these conditions. A friend of mine who's a caver showed me, he had a binder, a paper binder with laminated pages inside. And, and I, we were on a caving expedition in British Columbia and he showed me a photograph of the Nykaa Crystal Cave. Yeah. And from the moment I saw it for the first time, I knew that I had to go there
0: To get there, George would have to overcome some hurdles. First, there was the planning. And so it took two years of planning and preparation
1: and negotiations to get permission to go there for one day.
0: And then there's the journey itself. To get to the cave, you jump in a van at the side of the mountain. You then drive into the mountain, following a corkscrew road through a tunnel down and around for about 45 minutes, heading ever deeper into the earth. As you get close to the cave, it starts to become unbearably hot and humid, dangerously so. A magma chamber beneath the cave heats it all to something around 136 degrees. You can only stay in the cave for a few minutes without protective equipment, but it's not even the heat itself that makes the cave so dangerous. You get this humidity that is near 100%. So you get the heat of
1: the Sahara Desert combined with the humidity of the Amazon jungle. You sweat like mad. You you sweat like you've never sweat before, but it doesn't evaporate. So you don't get the cooling benefits. In that cave, the coolest thing is you, including the inside of your lungs. So that, that very dense... Humid air wants to condense into water droplets, and you can drown in the cave without there being any water around you.
0: To film in the cave, George and his crew had to wear these refrigerated suits with fighter pilot-like masks that cooled the air that they breathed and kept their eyes from getting scorched. Just to keep the cameras working, the film crew had to preheat their cameras to the temperature of the cave. And so, in order to, to to go into this cave for
1: more than maybe fifteen or twenty minutes, you have to wear, you have to basically prepare for a moonwalk. Mm. You have to wear a special, uh, you have to wear a vest to protect you from frostbite, because over top of that vest goes another vest that's filled with ice packs, mm. and then coveralls over top of that, and then on your back you wear a special chilled air respirator that has a fan that blows air over these ice canisters and then through a hose to a fighter pilot's mask that you wear. And that allows you to breathe this chilled air. It keeps your eyes from getting scorched. Wow. And, and it's, it's, it feels very much like going to another planet and setting foot there. Every cell in your body <laughs> is screaming to not go in there because it's so oppressively hot and humid. But as soon as you s- set eyes on this place,
0: It's magic. In the era of YouTube and Instagram and TikTok, everyone's just one post away from being their own adventure hero. But what people don't see are the safety plans, the backups, the meetings, the extra gear, the safety climbers and safety divers that George has to have in order to embark on these kinds of endeavors. I asked George if he ever worried about his influence.
1: It's that old saying, if your friend jumped off a bridge, would you do it as well, right? So what I really want people to understand, especially you young people out there, you you influential or, or, or influenced young people, realize that I put a lot of time and effort into making what I do as safe as possible. Please don't try this
0: at home, as they say. George stressed to me that he isn't just exposing himself to risk for the thrill of it.
1: Number one, I want to get kids interested in science and nature. Hmm. And I do that by showing them really cool stuff because that's that's the hook that will get them, right? So that, that's really important. And also I want people to realize how dynamic and beautiful and amazing our planet is and to be inspired by that, to have that sense of awe. We're having a lot of significant changes on our on our planet in a lot of different ways. And some really amazing things are going away. And so by bringing attention to that as well, hopefully we can get people excited about conservation and about maybe visiting some of these places in a sustainable manner.
0: The cave and the crystals inside turn out to be fairly fragile. Since George's visit back in 2008, the caves have reflooded, and scientists have recommended that they stay that way. I think maybe that's okay. There are places that are sometimes best left in that space between the real and the unreal, where it's not so much about being there as knowing that it exists, that it can exist. For me, there's still wonder and awe to be found in that place between what we know and what we don't know, between what we can see and what may never be seen.
1: And interestingly, there are three other crystal caves in that mine. They're at higher elevations, so they're not as deep. Mm. And as you go deeper, the crystals get bigger and bigger. Who Mm. knows how many caves are under there that might even be more spectacular because they don't have entrances to the surface of the earth. So who knows, there might be something even deeper that has even bigger crystals, but we just don't know yet.
0: This episode was produced by McKenna Smith. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. The production team includes Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Willis Ryder Arnold, Sarah Wyman, Manolo Manolo Morales, Tracy Samuelson, John Delore, Peter Clowney,
1: Amanda McGowan, Johanna Mayer.
0: Our technical director is Casey Holford. This episode was mixed by Luce Fleming. And our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I will see you next time.
1: Witness Docs from Stitcher.
0: Hello, I'm Brian Cox. I'm Robin Ince, and this is the Infinite Monkey Cage trailer for our brand new series. We've got mummies, we've got magic, we've got asteroids. Mummies, magic and asteroids. What's the link? That it was an asteroid that magically went over the world that led to Imhotep the mummy coming back to life? That's correct. I (laughs) thought it would be. We're as scientific as ever. But the most important thing to know is that we are going to deal with the biggest scientific question we finally ask. What is better, cats or dogs? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.